Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Trapped in an inevitable whale of form, future form of failure. Blah, blah, blah. The world is really bad. Yeah, I think uh, I think we all feel that. I th- uh, it's hard not to, right? Uh, but we are going to be continuing a conversation that we started with our last lore watch. And as such, there is going to be a little bit of a trigger warning associated with this episode. Uh, we will be talking about mothers and motherly figures throughout Blizzard's IPs. This includes their treatment and can include some sensitive topics. Uh, we understand that if this is something that you don't want to listen to, we understand. We'll catch you uh, on the next one. But I guess we're going to get started with... Blizzard doesn't necessarily have the best track record with female characterization in general. And some of the mother stuff that they've done has always seemed a little bit, some has, some has been very good and some has been very bad. Is there any that are particularly striking that you'd want to talk about up front or for, uh, bring up first, Matt? Mm. Well, there's Adria. We could talk about Adria. Go for it. For those that are at home, who is Adria? Uh, Adria is a character from the Diablo series. Uh, she pops up in, I think, Diablo 1. Yes. And then she shows up again in Diablo 3. She's the quote-unquote mother of Leah. I say quote-unquote, although she is physically Leah's mother, absolutely. But she abandons Leah fairly early to go on a mission to find the Black Soul Stone. Um, Diablo 3 has been out for 10 years. So um, at this point, I'm going to stop being coy. Uh, we discover uh, after we defeat Asmodon that Adria was not, in fact, a you know person seeking to prevent the rise of the the prime evils and the destruction of Sanctuary, but rather she was working directly for Diablo. Her being Leah's mother was part of Diablo's plan to sire a child while he was in control of Aiden, 
the uh, f- the fighter from the first Diablo game, if you've played it. Uh, he Diablo is in control of his body as the Lone Wanderer. Mm-hmm. If you played Diablo 2, you know what that is. And Adria and him conceiving a child, it was actually Diablo doing the conceiving, and thus Leah had within her a piece of Diablo. So that when Diablo and the other evils were apparently contained in the Black Soul Stone, Diablo is in fact partially within Leah, so... Adria could use Leah to basically house Diablo's essence and in the process, all the other evils as well, prime and, and lesser. Uh, this accomplished Adria, you know, boogied away to continue to serve Diablo's will. Obviously we kicked Diablo's butt um, out of heaven. And as a result, Adria now realized she'd made an enemy and moreover that Diablo was imprisoned again in the black soul stone. So she was trying to find him because if Adria was nothing, if not loyal, um, but we we went up to and and found her and killed her and in the process figured out where the Black Soul Stone was because she'd been trying to find it and she'd been scrying the Plane of Pandemonium. Um, so yeah, basically Adria is somebody who lies, betrays her own child, um, uses her own child after to accomplish a, her means. After abandoning her child, don't forget that part too. Oh yeah, she abandoned her up front, but then when when you re when you reoccur when you meet. Adria in Diablo three, she just, she tells a story about how she left Leia, not because she was abandoning her, but because she was, you know, serving her purpose in the battle against the primevals. When in fact, no, she was working directly for them. And she did in fact, abandon Adria. I mean, Leah. So yeah, Adria is quite possibly the worst mother you're going to come across. I think like, like up there, certainly. Um, if we're looking for a really, really bad mom, uh, Adria's pretty high on the list. Then there's Lilith. If we're going to talk about moms in Diablo, I think Lilith, you have to talk about Lilith. Yeah. Lilith is fundamentally, if you're a human being on Sanctuary, which almost everybody is, I mean, you know, the, it's a game with only people, doesn't have like, you know, orcs or whatever. Uh, every human on Sanctuary is descended from Lilith and Inarius. Inarius is an angel. Yep. Well, I can't actually say they're all descended from Lilith and Anarius. No, they're, they're the ones that started from, it. They're, they're yeah, the ones they're the that ones started who, that idea. They're the ones who send from either they descend from Lilith or Anarius or one of the other angels and demons that joined their cause. And I, I don't know how much of this we should explain. Like, I'm going to try to ballpark this one. Sanctuary exists because angels and demons are fighting at something called the Eternal Conflict, and they're fighting over something called the World Stone or the Eye of Anu. The World Stone slash Eye of Anu is the last remnant of the universe before it was essentially created by the destruction of Anu, who was this primordial being who existed as everything at once. Um, if you're into into like Gnosticism, you kind of see where I'm going. Mm-hmm. He decided, well, I say he, but it decided, they decided, whatever. They decided they didn't want to have any evil in them anymore because at that point they were everything, every good, every evil, every black and white, every light, every dark, they were everything. And therefore in order to perfect themselves, they took all of the stuff they considered negative and ripped it out and tossed it aside and became the diamond warrior Anu gleaming in perfection, cosmic harmony, cosmic unity, cosmic beauty, and left all the ugly, horrible aspects of themselves over there. But they didn't just stay over there because it was literally half of existence. It's like, you know, you can't have light without having shadows sort of thing. Uh, by doing this, they gave that, that aspect of themselves a personality and a name called Tathamet. And Tathamet was the entire antithesis of Anu. 
the two of them came together in combat and the seven-headed dragon being Tathamet died in battle with Anu, who also died. Um, and Tathamet's corpse crashed into what would become the Burning Hells and created them, essentially. And Anu's spine became the Crystal Arch and created heaven around it. The angels and, and demons of the Diablo setting are born from this moment. But they fought eternally over this one last fragment of the original Anu, the, 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 the Eye of Anu, the Worldstone, this piece of cosmic power that transcended the reality that they were in, that was created from their destruction. They fought constantly over it. The place where it landed was called Pandemonium, and that's the plane that they fought in. Both Inarius and Lilith were highly placed amongst their respective orders. Inarius was, sometimes he's called an archangel, sometimes he's just considered a very powerful and, and respected angel. He was certainly friends with the archangels, if nothing else. Uh, Lilith is the daughter of one of the seven primevals who are themselves created by the seven heads of Tathamet when she when it died. She, usually she, but it, really. Um, well, I think... So basically, Tathamet had seven heads. Each of those heads gave birth to one of the of the evils, one of the aspects of it, like you know, uh, hate, destruction, terror, all that stuff. It was you know, it was all those things, and each of them is now one aspect of that grand thing. And and the, all the demons that serve them are like lesser aspects, like like bugs that crawl I, out of the corpse. I, I think that's a little off off like the the. Uh- Lilith path just a tad. Yeah, like, well, we have to get there. So basically, one of the seven's head was Mephisto. Mephisto had a daughter named Lilith. Lilith was like, I, "This this warrior fighting is ridiculous. It's never going to go anywhere. You take it. You take some place for a couple of centuries. Then they take it back. Then you take it back. Then they take it back. There's no winning this." So she was like, "He he ignored her, and she was like, well, 'Well, I'm I'm done talking to this moron. I'm going to go find somebody who will, wants this to stop.'" who wants to win or end it or something. And she found Anarius. Anarius actually got captured during the eternal conflict. And she was the one who basically freed him and listened to him. She listened to what he was saying. When she captured him, she listened to him ranting. He was ranting about how sick he was of this conflict. Go ahead, kill me. I don't care. My light will return to the arch and I won't the the being I am now won't be here. And I won't have to experience this anymore. And she was like, Hmm you sound like you want this to end. And so together, the two of them came up with a plan. They gathered together a bunch of adherents and they stole the world stone, the thing that everybody was fighting over and they used it. They did the one thing nobody else dared to do. They used the world stone. Previously people had used it, but it only lasted a little while before whatever it made had been turned into nothingness again, but they took it out of pandemonium Mm -hmm. and into the cosmos and they used it to make a world. And that world would be what we're calling sanctuary now. It's the world that the Diablo setting, basically. It's the world Diablo is in. And once they did this, they created this place and they used the world stone to mask it. So the angels and demons couldn't find it. And when they did that, the, the angels and demons still kept fighting their war, but now they didn't really know what they were fighting over. Like, why are we bothering to fight over Pandemonium Fortress when the thing that was in it that we all wanted isn't here anymore? So... Their their war got kind of colder. They ke- they kept fighting, but they weren't like there was no point to contributing huge armies to to try and take the Pandemonium Fortress. Who cares who has it? It, it there's no point to having it. So that was going on while that was happening. Lilith convinced Denarius, you know, it, it'd be a shame to have this world and and not people it. And uh, the, her idea was basically um, to have children. 
So she and the other angel demons and angels all came together and they started having kids. First among those kids was uh, the, the being now called Rathma. At the time, he was called Lenarian. His name is a portmanteau of Lilith and Inarius, Lenarian. And there are others. Um, these children, the children of this generation, were the, considered today the ancients in, in Diablo lore. They're the beings like Bolkathos and uh, uh, Fiakla Nagar and, and Asu, the, the beings who were the, the, the most powerful of the Nephilim. And amongst their number and chief among them was Lenarian who was the son of Inarius and Lilith. And I don't know how many more of the ancients might have been the children of Inarius and Lilith. We were never told. We know that at least one was, and we know that others might have been. This first generation, the first Nephilim, the ones we call the ancients, were terrifyingly powerful because they were they had the power. N- number one, they had the power to make their own decisions about good and evil, which is something angels and demons don't really have like an, if an angel does something they do it because it's their nature to do it uh and it's calling it good and evil is probably unfair more like order and chaos really uh angels are inherently orderly they just can't help it that's what they are demons are inherently chaotic they cannot help it that's what they are but these nephilim could be anything and furthermore they could draw upon the same power as the world stone the poor power of primordial anu creative power Angels and demons are not good at creating things. Like you'll notice that every angel comes out of the crystal arch. They're born from it. They're like a, a like a note of music struck upon the arch. Every demon regenerates out of the corpse of Tathamet in the burning hells. They're all birthed out of that force. So Lilith had come up with a way to come up with people that could do anything any angel or any demon could do. The the ancients were terrifyingly powerful, and the angels and demons that joined Inarius and Lilith were afraid of them. And they were also afraid that they'd catch the attention of heaven and hell, because they could do these vast things. Maybe in time they'd be able to like get around the World Stone's prohibition. Maybe they could, you know, they would draw the attention of, of heaven and hell. Lilith got wind of this and she killed them. Every angel and demon who spoke against her, the Nephilim, she killed them because she saw the Nephilim as her children and she had a plan for them. This was how she was going to win the eternal conflict. This was how she was going to prove her father wrong with these children. Anarius, she didn't kill Anarius because she hoped she could talk him around. She actually, it's interesting. We, we, we call her like a deceiver and she was, and she was a demon, obviously, but she seemed to objectively be fond of, of Anarius because she didn't try to kill him. No. She just tried to convince him, you know, hey, no, this is great. Our kids are going to like people this world and they're going to be immensely powerful. And then we can just go and we can just take everybody out. We can win the eternal conflict. He used the world stone to, to banish her from existence. Mm-hmm. And then he basically used the world stone to turn the uh, Nephilim into humans, to basically cut away the, the cosmic power that was their birthright and make them become mortal as time passed. It didn't work on the ancients, like uh, Lenarian and uh, Bolkathos and Isu and all them, but it did work on their the children and grandchildren and so on of the Nephilim. As the Nephilim had children, those children were born not as Nephilim. And this had long, long-lasting consequences because the Nephilim had that. By that point, the Nephilim had built a world-spanning civilization, and they themselves had had children of their own, and those children had had children, and those children had had children, and so generations were born before this conflict happened. And when it did, 
it altered the world. Cities like Corvus, which were completely populated with Nephilim, uh, became less and less, you know, they fell into chaos because the Nephilim weren't being born anymore. Um, anyway, we've talked a lot already, and we do probably have a lot more we want to talk about, but Lilith is definitely, she's definitely dangerous. She comes up, she came up again in the Sin War. She nearly caused the destruction of, of Sanctuary, but she's not, she's not evil in the way that the prime evils are evil. She's a demon. Mm-hmm. And she absolutely is sinister and malevolent in her way, but her goal isn't to destroy sanctuary or kill all humanity or turn all of humanity into demon slaves. Her goal is that all of humanity should get to be Nephilim. And when they are all Nephilim, then nothing can stop them. And at their head, as their mother, she will lead them forth and end the eternal conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. From the perspective of Sanctuary, this is not necessarily a bad deal. I mean, sure, it might end up with Lilith in charge of the universe, but it, can you honestly say she'd be do a worse job than the people we've seen so far? Especially the when you Jiris consider, Council? I was going to say, especially when you consider, like, it's not just the demons that have wrought destruction upon uh, the Sanctuary at this point, too. Going through Diablo 3, you'll see that, like, the, the Divine Host has also wrought havoc upon... Uh, look at look at going through West March. <laughs> like Malfiel kills how many of how many people? Like almost all of humanity. Like, like two thirds yeah, of humanity. Wipes, he nearly wipes out the planet. Yeah, two thirds of the population are, are gone at the end of Diablo three. Like it is it is a a extinction event almost. Yeah, it's uh, like the Black Death in Europe. But it, it's, I'm not kidding here. It's like the Black it, Death very, in Europe, except worldwide. And Lilith, like you, you've pointed out, is is a an interesting character in that regard because it's easy to make an assumption of how she feels about the Nephilim, but we honestly truly don't know. And we're going to start to see more of that moving into Diablo four. And I think that's, uh, it's a very interesting call. And I was kind of hoping you would bring up and talk about Lilith uh, a bit, uh, because I think she is one of the more important motherly figures, especially because for a while she did get fridged and now she's back. So, yeah. And the thing is, is that her role in the sin war books, if you've read them, I mean, I know there's a lot of different opinions about Richard Knack. I think when Richard Knack is on, he's an amazing writer. The Sin War was actually one of the, it's one of the few Richard Knack like series of books that I actually enjoy. So I can highly recommend them, but yeah. Yeah. The Sin War books, you get to see Lilith. She is absolutely manipulative. She's trying to use them. Uh, Odyssean, Uldromed, she's absolutely trying to use him, but her points are valid. Like there's, there's that whole, like that meme, like, you know, Hey, are we the baddies? Lilith is actually kind of the opposite where you can actually stop and go, wait a minute, is she the goodie? Like, I know that she's got ulterior motives. I know that she's cruel and demonic, but everything she's saying makes perfect sense and, and has been proved. But, you know, when, when she talks about Anarius, Anarius didn't rule the world because he wanted power, but it was, did it matter? You know, he still, he still cut off everybody's access to what they truly are. You know, they're, you know, and it comes up over and over again. The, the, when they finally found Sanctuary, the Injurious Council voted on whether or not they should just destroy it. And they almost went destroy. They would have tried to kill all of us. It was only Tyriel. You know, basically, Malthiel abstained. Uh, the fate, I believe it was uh, Imperius voted yay. Uh, and fate, the fate angel, archangel, whose name is escaping me, even though she's a Heroes of the Storm character that I used to play, she voted no. And mm-hmm. so he thought that Tyriel would vote with him, which was 
would have been fine because that would have been a tie and the tie would go to the destruction. But Tyrael said no. That's something they just did. Like they could. Like it's their choice to wipe us out or not. And if you look at what Malthiel does in Diablo 3 in Reaper of Souls, people will, who up until this point, people believed in angels as divine figures. Not gods, but powerful, beneficial beings. Because that's now, the way the, the mythos was, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's what the Zacharoon taught them. But now an angel came down to Sanctuary and killed so many people. And they know that it was the angelic yeah. host. They were yeah, they not shy them. about it. <laughs> yeah. The angels that were murdering them came right on down and did it. So, yeah. At this point, what what does Sanctuary have to believe in? Why wouldn't they turn to Lilith if she arrived? You know? It is interesting to me to think about. And she does, like, she had a, even though she had an ad- adversarial relationship with Lenarian slash Rathma, there was clearly affection there. He He viewed her as his mother. He was loyal to her as his mother, even if he had to stop her as a being causing like a war that was going to destroy reality. She still was his mother. So there's a lot to this. I am looking forward to seeing how this is going to play out. I want to see if Anaria shows up. We'll get to see another terrible dad too. You know, we, from last week, which we think yeah, we, covered- he, we think we think he is. But you should go back and listen to the Diablo episodes we've done. We've talked about that, especially the Diablo Four uh, reveal. It's about to get real interesting. Family reunion is going to get real weird in Diablo. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are there are other figures we could theoretically talk about, um, like Queen Asilla, who kind of is more in the breach than the observance as a mother. She certainly isn't evil, like, and she isn't like you know crazy like her husband t- got turned. But she doesn't really get to do anything. She gets her head cut off, and that's all we really know about her. Um, other, I don't think there's any other. Like I said, Adria's like Leah's mother is Adria. Queen Asilla is Adria's grandmother, grandfather, grandmother because she's Aiden's mother. Don't really see too many else that I can think of. Um, n- certainly not really of, of much importance to this story. So we should probably move on. We, we could talk about. I think at this point we should talk about WoW and, and Warcraft and such. And I'm actually going to talk about probably one of my favorite characters that WoW has, uh, who happens to be a mother. And a queen, uh, and I'm talking about Moira Thurisian, uh, or Moira Bronzebeard. <laughs> she is probably one of the, in my opinions, one of the the best written female characters that WoW has had. Uh, just simply because she is one, she's still around, but two, as you get to learn about her as a person, it's never like mustache twirling villainy. It's always with a purpose behind it. So Moira, if you, if our first introduction to her years and years and years ago in the original days of wow is where we are sent by King Magni Bronzemere to go rescue her from the depths of the clutches of the dark iron dwarves. We go and rescue her from Emperor Tharesian by murdering him only to find out that she wasn't kidnapped. She had chosen to leave the Bronzebeards, leave iron forge behind and go to BRD. It basically, it was a love story and nobody thought anything of it at the time, but she also happened to be a pregnant with Emperor Theresian's child. Years later, uh, as she takes over basic rulership of the black or the, the, the <laughs> dark iron clan words are hard today, folks. I haven't had nearly enough caffeine as she takes over basically rulership of the dark iron clan. She is the impetus behind them. Essentially, becoming what they are now becoming a dwarven society. Again, not just a bunch of outcasts that serve an elemental Lord. There is still strife there, 
but she is a character of strength who is trying to push them forward. There is what we we could talk about with her plan to essentially take control of Ironforge after her father was uh, turned to crystal, where she rolls up with a whole bunch of Dark Irons because she has the claim to the throne, but she's not doing it just for her. She's doing it for her son, who at this point is the heir of two of the three clans of dwarves that have been split and fractured for generations. She essentially is doing everything she can to reunite the dwarves under a single structure. And she's doing it because she wants her child to inherit not a fractured lifestyle. I actually really like that. I like the way her character is portrayed. I like the fact that her character is intelligent, uh, is, is, you know, a statescraft's person as well. And even in their interactions, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, it was in the, the shattering, I believe it was right. Where we have that interaction with, uh, I want to say it was her and when Anduin was sort of in trapped in Ironforge. Is that right? Is that the right book? I can't remember. I think so. Yeah, but it's it was never a, you know, you're going to do this and ha ha ha. And it was always, look, you uh, you're it's unfortunate that you're here. I'm going to make sure you're well taken care of, but I am going to use you as leverage with your father because I cannot storm. I don't win- want him coming up and killing me. So storm here you are. Yeah, exactly. Your father is going to come and he is going to try to kill me because I have essentially abducted you uh, and I have allowed nobody in or out of Ironforge while we settle this internally but I am going to use you for leverage so that I can live. And that's exactly what happens. But even in that moment, when face to face with Varian, she doesn't back down. She's not, she's not a person to cow before him. And she was ready to accept, like if he was going to kill her, she was going to take it. And it was Anduin that steps up and says, no, let's, let's do this a different way. And then the council of three hammers is forged again, where representatives from all three of the Dwarven clans, including Moira, are now present to dictate the future of Dwarven, basically, society. And again, throughout all of this, throughout all the interactions we see, we see that she is just a person trying to do right by her family in a way that wasn't done for her. She grew up with a very tenuous relationship with her father for a while. At he first, was distant. He didn't really view her as an heir. And it got at first he loved, you know, he loved her. He doted on her and everything was fine. But it was when Amir, uh, his wife died that that sort of that gap became more and more and more. Uh, he was more about, you know, making sure that the kingdom was being run and drove and drove himself into work and whatever war was going on at the time and making sure that he was participating in that with the Alliance versus taking care of his daughter, which is why she ran away and he thought she was kidnapped. He never talked with her. He didn't understand where she was. And we see this, and this could be a throwback to, you know, last week's episode as well as, you know, your old dad award. It isn't until he comes back as the crystalline entity that he is now that they even have a talk about that. And it isn't until then that he says the words, I'm proud of you to her. We have the entire comic of it. And you can see that it like it, it doesn't shatter her. But that's the thing she wanted to hear her entire life is her opinion was valid and that she was doing the right thing. He doesn't tell her. He doesn't scold her for the things she's done. He doesn't yell at her for taking the dark irons and marching on iron for She knows she did it because he also knows that she did it for his grandson, for her son. And you can tell in all those interactions that she does love her child 
And I think that's really important as well, because the way that it's written, it's she's there. She's present with him. She's teaching him about both facets of his his lineage, not just the Dark Iron, not just the Bronzebeard, but of being a king, of being a representative of all the people. And she's also not a slouch. There's a scenario in Pandaria where she's, I believe it's Pandaria. It might, it might have been End of Cataclysm. No, Time. no, the scenarios. The scenario was made during Pandaria. It, yes, it's it was set in like the the dwarven starting area at Dunmore. Yes, uh, but you get to see her going to war essentially on behalf of the alliance, on behalf of the dwarves, where she is wielding incredible power in defense of Ironforge against frost trolls, and you look back at that and you're like, wow, she probably could have taken Varian. She probably could have brought Ironforge to its knees. She's a very powerful sorceress. I don't know if she... I'm going to dispute you here. She's not a sorceress. Sorry. Go ahead. She's a priestess. Okay. She's a priestess. She's a very powerful priestess. In fact, if you ever... The fight you were talking about when you go in to get her, if you go in to get her the first time you ever do on a character, she's there healing. That's right. Yep. That's why he's such a beast because she is literally just dropping healing spells on him. And it's like, Oh my God, somebody like sheep her or something. Cause we don't want to fail the quest. So I remember like so many mages would just be like, Oh, I guess I'm on sheep duty. <laughs> just have to keep sheeping Moira. <laughs> like, Oh God, she's out again. Sheep Moira. So yeah, Moira. I don't know if she could have taken Varian cause Varian was very good at killing people, but Moira is not to be trifled with. She is not, she's not weak not weak at all not just and not just emotionally moira can can house you she yeah. can f you up um so yeah i, I do think you're, you got a valid point there and and that's i think that's really what i wanted to point out is of all the characters that they've had she hasn't really had for lack of a better term a broken moment and we could talk about we've talked about this in the past where there's been a, a, several uh prominent figures uh, jaina as an example where some things don't make sense where the character is just fundamentally broken for no good reason, or it's all tied up in the relationship with who, who they're with at that particular point in time. And it gets a little weird and it gets a little fuzzy with Moira. That's not the case. She knows who she is. She knows what she wanted. She is a very well-defined character. And even when there's an uprising internally with the Dark Irons, because there is a subsect that wants to bring back Ragnaros, they, they're the cult of the cult of flame, I think it is. Where yeah, they're Twilight Hammer Bros. They're Twilight Hammers Bros, basically. But they want to bring him back and summon him back. She could very easily have just said, "Okay, fine. Well, I guess we're just going to go to Iron Forge now, and whatever Dark Iron doesn't want to deal with this, we're going to be over here now. We're just going to be. We're just going to." you know, leave you to your own fate. No, she actively participates in stamping that out and making sure that, because this is part of your, um, your quest when you, when you start as a dark iron dwarf is finding and eliminating the priest that is heading up this cult to make sure that, you know, dark irons aren't going to fall back under the sway of it. She's not abandoning them. She's not saying, well, I'm a bronze beard again. No, this is, she's keeping that legacy, yeah, not Together. only is she not only is she currently the reigning monarch on the Dark Iron Throne, uh, because her son cannot he's a child, you know, so she's ruling as his regent. Not only is she the the widow of the previous emperor, but she has decided that she is going to this is not just because it's her son's legacy, because they are her people. Mm-hmm. 
And that's something I think is interesting about Moira as a character is that she doesn't, she never has just one reason for doing anything. No. Moira is, in a way, Moira is absolutely her father's child. Like, a uh, really know, great example that- of that. Sorry, like, just to bring this up real quick, something that people don't talk about is there during, at the end of, like, uh, Pandaria, there's a whole thing with this short novella called The Jade Hunters, and Moira, with other members of the, the particular council there, made sure that they were blackmailing, like, uh, Fendrig Redbeard, uh, Fenella Darkvine, and Carrick Irongrim to make a team to rebuild the Jade Serpent statue. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to make sure that it was getting done, but she still did it like that. And she did it by any means necessary. Yeah. I mean, Moira is, is a complicated character, but she's absolutely, she's not a two dimensional villain, nor is she necessarily your best friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moira does things for her own reasons. And she always has more than one reason before she takes action. Um, So yeah, she, it is a a fascinating character. I would like to see her and Anduin interact more. Um, they both kind of have similar circumstances. They, they could actually probably have quite a bit to talk about. You kind of see that in the book that they did have quite a bit to talk yep. about. Yep. That they were actually talking to each other. Um, in time, they might actually become friendly. I mean, as friendly as anybody gets with Moira. And and that's um, an interesting point because I think she could offer. And here's a weird thing that I, I it may sound weird. She could offer some of that advice and some of that perspective to Anduin in a way that nobody else can. She lost her father in like her father's alive, quote unquote, but he's not there. He, she like he, for all intents and purposes may just be dead, dead still. And you get that at the end of that comic, you get that at the end of, of, I think it's like birthright or something like that. I can't remember the name of the comic. Um, But it's like, even though she had that touching moment with him, she, her life is not modeled with him in it. And she had to find her way forward without her father. Anduin is in that exact same position and nobody else aside from maybe Jaina would give him the time of day, but Jaina's got other things that she's got in her mind. I think Moira would offer that unique perspective. I would love to see the two of them talk. I would love to see her walk into the Shadowlands and be like, what are you doing? Get back. You got a throne to take care of. Like, (laughs) Why are you here? Like, let I understand. Like, it it sucks. I get it. Trust me. We could talk about this, but you got work to do because that's the type of person she is. And I think it would be good. Yeah, I can see that. All right. What about you? What, what next character would you like to talk about? I mean, it's interesting to talk about because like a lot of the prominent female characters are not mothers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, or motherly figures. They don't necessarily have yeah. to have children, but they can be like, um, yeah, but. Oh, I like to I like to try and focus it as much as I can on people who Fair. are actually mothers. I mean, there's Alex Straza, who you kind of have to not just as a mother to numerous offspring. I mean, we we've, we've seen a couple of them, and she's tended to outlive them, which is pretty heartbreaking for a mother. Uh, I, I guess I will continue to go with Alex Straza here because, like I said, mother of her entire Dragonflight in a way is the mom of the group of the Aspects. Because you, you have if, if if when you're like in your formative years a lot of people have friend groups and these friend groups can be like almost as tight as family mm-hmm. like you can have people that in years to come they will be called uncle to your not to your children even though they are not related to you that kind of thing um i have like one person like that because uh, i'm not a very friendly person but regardless in that situation if you look at the aspects as that kind of group you've got ysera who is actually alexstrasza's younger sister but the other three original aspects, Neltharion, Malagos, 
and Nosdormu were not related to them. They were, in fact, not at all related to them. They, I mean, other than they were all proto-drakes, they, they were not her brothers. Yet, she kind of became the mom of that group of people. Not literally their mother, but the person who does the mom role. The person who nurtures them. The person who keeps them on track. The person who herds the cats. And when she became the, the aspect of, of life, she literally becomes that to Azeroth. That's her job to Azeroth as a whole is to try and be its mom. It's crazy. You know, it's a crazy place that needs a mom. And she has to, she's trying to fill that role while at the same time, she is literally a mother to not just her dragon flight, but the blue dragon flight, as it currently stands, many of those eggs wouldn't exist if her flight hadn't found them and preserved them. Like her flight kept them going. And in a way you can even say that for the black dragons. Because Rathion wouldn't exist if not for a red dragon and one of Alexstrasza's children who went out of her, their, her way to make him exist. Mm-hmm. Now, now, at the same time, he rebelled against that and ran off. He absolutely didn't want the Reds in charge of his life. But you, you see in Alexstrasza somebody who is almost relentlessly forgiving and relentlessly maternal to the point where she can go up. They, during uh, War Crimes, there's a part where they put Garot, you know, Garrosh Hellscream on trial for what he did during uh, Mr. Pandaria, where, you know, the whole, everything he did. And one of the things he did was he, he gave the Dragon Maw, knew, he knew, he basically brought the Dragon Maw in his allies. So in order to prove what kind of person Garrosh is, at one point they're asking Alex Straza about what the Dragon Maw did to her. And what they did to her is horrific. I'm not going to. We, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat it. Just it's it's horrific. We've talked about it before. But uh, it's another it, it's another good example of of poor treatment of motherly figures or female characters in general. Yeah, but even then, when she after she's asked to testify about it, and they say, "So what what would you do with them?" and, and she goes, "I would forgive them." And everyone's stunned, but she's like, "No, I am the aspect of life. I am. This is not a joke. I am not kidding about this." This is what I am and who I am and who I have chosen to be. I could let what they did to me destroy me. I could let it fester in me, but I'm not going to. There's a quiet strength to that, to, to Alex Straza, because she's been through, like, I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up too is that we know she's going to be a prime figure in the upcoming expansion. And I'm hoping they're going to deal with the fact that Alex Straza has known loss on a scale most of us would never understand. Um her last clutch of eggs just before the cataclysm with the hour of twilight, where the dragons had to give up everything. Her last clutch of eggs was destroyed by her consort because Deathwing's minions had corrupted them and they were going to be born as Ultraxian like things. So he blew up the chamber and thus she had to lose her consort and seemingly he destroyed all their children. Cause keep in mind, she'd lost her other consort before this point, she only had the one consort left. Now he was dead and all their children were dead. And she had to deal with that. And she did. She came out of that. She didn't let that destroy her. That's the figure Alex Raza is. I want to see them finally let her have, I don't know if I want to say happiness because it's Azeroth, but it would be nice if she got to rebuild something after losing so much in like, since she's been introduced as a character, Alexstrasza has basically just lost everything constantly. So that's that's one of the things I would like to see them, when, whatever they're doing in this expansion. And we know they're doing something with her. I mean, she's on the freaking box for all intents and purposes. Um, every piece of art we've seen has been Alexstrasza. So I am definitely hoping that this gets to be a new chapter for her as a character. 
Um, her, her, I think both of both Kale Straws and um, Vale Straws were her children, correct? Yes. And they're both dead. So both of her sons are dead. Um, there may be others. I don't know how many kids she actually has. Um, in a way, the entire Dragonflight is her kids and grandkids and so forth. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that after all the suffering that they've put Alex Straza through, it's time for her to, to get to be happy in some fashion. If, if, if it's nothing else than the rebuilder of the dragon society and the, you know, the, the person who gets to be the dragon who gets to be there when the dragons come back, when the dragons get to re- reclaim something, I want her to get to be there for it. Um, Cause you think about it at this point, who she got left Nosdormu of yeah. her original five. She's got Nosdormu who is not exactly easy to get along with. Nope. Because he's constantly talking about how he's going to go crazy and destroy the world. It's like, yeah, great. Um, I just wanted to know how you were doing. Thanks. Thanks, Blair. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, Another one that I want to talk about that I think is probably extremely important and is interesting with the way that they've changed the story of the character over the years or fleshed it out a little bit. And that's going to be Aegwyn. Uh So this is the mother of Medivh who, without her existence, the entire story of Warcraft would not have existed. She served as the what was recognized as the most powerful guardian uh, of Trisfall, served in this position for over a thousand years. Uh, she also, at one point, was Jaina Proudmoore's Chamberlain, which most people forget about. She was just an incredibly powerful mage who also battled the Avatar of Sargeras. When Sargeras came to Northrend uh, and tried to basically go conquest style on on Azeroth, she was infected with uh, the essence of Sargeras, where it festered in uh, when she was with child, kind of took over that. It influenced a lot of what she did, uh, influenced a lot of her sort of before Medivh was born, uh, like just kind of how she interacted with things, taking the power, keeping the power, taking it away from uh, the council, uh, making sure that it would transfer to her son, which was completely against the traditions of the guardians of tears fall. But again, if she had not done that, the dark portal never would have opened. Had she had not been there, she never would have advised Jaina at some of the most pivotal moments uh, of her life in Theramore. She's an incredibly important character that we got to see just little glimpses of uh, when Legion came. Because whose image was it that we saw in the Temple of Elune when we went to go beat up, essentially, the Avatar Sargeras again? When we were trying to stop the Legion from invading? It was her. She was the one that left behind instructions on how to do everything we needed to do with the pillars of creation. And without her... We never would have gotten there. We never would have been able to defeat the Legion. But also, she is one of the most written off characters. I would like. I, I, I want to say because essentially, for years, she was only the mother of Medivh. She wasn't anything more than that. Her entire purpose was she gave birth to Medivh. Well, and to be fair, that's actually even the narrative. Yeah, I mean, because you look at it. She's the one. She has Medivh because she decides I don't want to give my power up to a successor unless I can make and pick that successor. Mm-hmm. Like they, because she doesn't trust the Council of Terrasfall. She's seen them in her thousand years as guardian. She'd seen them too many times do things she didn't agree with. So she was going to do it her way. And 
on the one hand, that's a really, it's a strong choice. It's a choice that somebody, you know, in a, in, who isn't being pushed around by other people makes. But on the other hand, her big, you know, her big moment, her big de- declaration of her independence is to have a kid. You know, it's like, that's, she could have just said, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to pick somebody else to train. You know, she didn't have to do that level of it. Now it's entirely possible that the reason she did that was because she already had Sargeras inside her. And I think that would be an interesting thing to deal with is the idea that this corrupting demonic influence, but in the end of the day, it's still a woman being used to create a vessel by a male character. Do you know what I'm saying? It's still, it's still a woman whose agency is being taken away from her for, for, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, And in terms of her being written off, it is interesting because in order for her to even exist, they had to write her on in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they, there was a period of time. We had no idea why, you know, Medivh was just a powerful mage. And then they, as the story developed, they, they had to come up with where he was from and who he was. Um, there's a reason we didn't talk about Nihilus Iran last week. Because <laughs> Medivh's parents did not get treated well in terms of their narrative existence. At least Aegwin got to be important. When he but, he just got like, and that's the other thing that I didn't like either was was they basically wrote that whole relationship. There was no relationship. Nope. She just picked him because he was reasonably good at magic. Yep. And that's the thing is like, and then that's just an excuse for her to be out of Medivh's life. Like she didn't stick around. She didn't have anything to do with Medivh. And it's like you can't simultaneously use her as you know, her motherness is the only thing you care about, but then you don't even have her get to be the mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it is Aegwin's story. I would like to see, first off, I, I, this idea that Aegwin's dead bugs me. I would love it if she just took that as a, an opportunity to get out of Dodge. Yep. You know, she's, it's not like she hadn't done it before. I mean, and it's yeah. not like, it's not like Medivh is really dead. Like we have that whole thing going on there as well. That seems to be that the death doesn't stick to that family very well. No. And it would be interesting if finally, we know that Medivh and, and Awing spent time together. Yes. After his death, I would love to see what they talked about, what their what their relationship was, and also, well, go. Are you still talking? Like you have more to say about Awing or what? Please. No, no, no. I, I mean, because I want to know about if we can go to another character. Because we can. I do we absolutely about. can. All right. I want to talk for a moment about mothers of daughters. Because so often it's the mother of some male character, mm-hmm. but there's only a couple. Like in in um, Battle for Azeroth, one of the characters who was introduced that I really liked was was Catherine Proudmore. I knew you not were because bring that up. She, yeah, yeah, not because she was like super nice and kind or whatever. Catherine Proudmore was iron. She, she was. did love her children, but she was iron when she thought like when Jaina came back to Colteris, she sentenced her to banishment. You know, she just straight up did and they reconciled over time. Um, but her actions weren't, weren't petty cruelness for the sake of cruelness. As far as she knew, Jaina had killed her husband, mm-hmm. her own father. And so you get to see Catherine Proudmore from a bunch of different angles. You get to see her as the ruler of Colteris, as, the, as essentially Lord Admiral. I believe she even has the title Lord Admiral. Um, because the Proudmore family is still very powerful and she is the head of the Proudmore family is essentially in charge. Uh, you get to see that you get to see her as a mother. And you know, at this point she's very worried because her last remaining child, like Jaina, obviously she, she had Jaina banished, but Tancred's missing and she has no idea where he is. No one knows where Tancred and the fleet are. So at this point she's got nobody. All she has is like a, a friend 
And that friend turns out to be betraying her the whole freaking time. Um, and we know her name. Why can't I remember her name? You know the one I'm talking about, right? Priscilla Ashvane. Yeah, or, yeah, Priscilla. Priscilla Ashvane has been has been betraying her the whole time to try and seize power, uh, poisoning her mind against her daughter, getting everything set up for an eventual coup. And then, so then Catherine has to go into Thros itself to find Jaina and bring her out. And you get, I like it because it is a, it is about their relationship, these two characters, Jaina and Catherine, and. It continues past the point of that Thros encounter. Um, one of the best moments, I think, between the two characters is at the end of um, the, the the Siege of Boralis dungeon when the uh, when Ashmane's bringing in a whole pirate fleet mm-hmm. and they've they've sub- they've gotten through the defenses and they're going to just straight up attack Boralis. And Catherine is the one who tells Jaina, you know, you're the one who can do this. You're the one who can lead our people. Interestingly enough, too, Catherine Catherine uh, was in the search party that went to Thros to find Jaina. Yeah, didn't I just say that? She's the one who goes to Thros to get her? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, absolutely. Catherine, Catherine goes to find her daughter. They reconcile because Catherine takes positive action to understand why Jaina did what she did. Mm-hmm. And that Jaina didn't want anything to happen to her father. She didn't hate him or want to kill him. She just wanted him to stop and listen. And that moment where Jaina is wailing, you know, why wouldn't he listen? It's Catherine who's there as the, the the remaining parent, the one that, you know, she wasn't listening when Jaina got home, but she's listening now. And I, I like the fact that Catherine as a character, she doesn't like, she doesn't break and like, I was wrong about everything. She's just, you know, I, I didn't really understand. I didn't take the time to understand, but I'm going to take the time now. I like their relationship. I like that moment at, you know, when Tancred comes back, I even like how she deals with Derek. Like she kind of accepts that Derek is her son. He's undead and that's bad, but he is her son. And she recognizes that there's, I, I do like Catherine's betrayal. I, I, again, I like the fact that she is like, she is iron. There's, there's no, there's nothing soft about Catherine Proudmore, but at the same time, in a weird way, I really liked when they had her and Gen talking. Yeah, like, that was a really interesting dynamic. Well, yeah, because in a way, Gen is like, yeah, all this stuff you're feeling, I get it, I do. But I had a, I, my son was was murdered in front of me. You don't want to be to to lose her like that. You don't want to to this to be the way it goes. And I like that. I like that they're they're not. There's no romantic thing there. For one thing, he's got a wife. Um, for another thing, she's not looking. But I do like that they both kind of recognize we're like two of the last from this generation. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else, Terranus, your husband, uh, the you know uh, the Trollbane, you know Thoris Trollbane, they're all gone. It's just us. Even Varian's gone now. The 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 kid, you know, the son of the guy who was our generation, Lane. Even he's gone. His grandson is ruling. You know, it's 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 probably pretty sobering for them. You know, and it's and it's an interesting dynamic. I do like I like Catherine as a character. I think her her being a mother is part of her character, but it doesn't dominate her entire personality, um, which I like. She isn't just there to be mommy. So yeah, I mean, there are. It, it, I don't want to be one of those folks to say that it isn't getting better. It is slowly getting better. We could talk about uh, the way that Alun has been written, the way that Taronda has been written, because they are both motherly figures. Uh, I don't think we have nearly enough time for that. Uh, we could talk about even just like the way that 
most uh, Larry, we could talk about Verisa. They are mothers as well, but they are mothers that you rarely see interact with their children. Uh, you, like at all, really. Uh, they've also gone through immeasurable trauma that really doesn't get resolved. Not really. Like the most we've seen of them is at the end of this expansion where they're there to see the, the sentencing of their sister, but we don't see them interact with their, their children at all. And in fact, like in, in Verisa's uh, case, whatever children have been doing, when's the last time we actually saw them? We saw twins in Legion that weren't them, uh, but could have been if they had written it differently. It's almost like certain, those aspects of them are kind of erased. Um, Valeria and Torellian's son is in Outland still. He's a paladin. Don't really get any interaction with them. We got it during Battle for Azeroth in a nightmare sequence. And that was really it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of... the the. That's what I mean when I say, like, they, they have a nasty tendency of writing mothers poorly is, for lack of a better term, most mothers don't get to actually be mothers in Warcraft. And it sounds like a weird thing to say, but think about it. Anduin's mother, dead. Varian's mother, where'd she go? Well, she's dead, probably, but... We have no even idea. Even if she's not, because we were told that she was taken out of Stormwind. But we don't know what happened. Yeah, we have no idea what happened to her after that. And, and that's annoying, because she was Anduin Lothar's sister. Yeah. I want to know where she went. <laughs> you know, I mean, granted, she'd be pretty freaking old by now. You know, she, she'd be gen old. Uh, but, but then again, in the Warcraft setting, gen old clearly means you can still kill people. So, oh yeah, but in the, but that's what I mean. Like they're they're written off. They're they they are oftentimes used as specific vehicles to either advance a story, have a tragic event happen to them, and then it, and then they no longer are important and are thrown away, or they never get to be apparent. They're just there to be a traumatic event for that child to be a formative mm-hmm. thing. And like Tiff and Rin is a really. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Talk about that for a couple minutes if you want. Well, what's there to say? I mean, she literally exists to give birth to Anduin, then get killed by a rock. Yeah. Um, in a in a riot, possibly because a dragon wanted her dead. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where every time I look at that, I'm like, you know, I get you. I get why this happened. I get what you were doing, but no, nah, it ain't cool, Chief. Imagine if they actually had the courage to have Varian be the one to get killed in that riot, mm-hmm. and Tiffin had to like lead as had lead Stormwind, a, a, a city that she only she was just a member of the nobility. She wasn't the hereditary ruler. Uh, in a lot of ways, I look at the the story they've done with Moira and think you could have done that story with Tiffin. Um, then again, this is not like I don't I wouldn't have wanted Varian dead. But then again, Varian was kidnapped for like twenty freaking years. Mm-hmm. You could have just you know not twenty, but you know you could have had him get kidnapped and had Tiffin there in Stormwind trying to hold things together and not being suited for half of it because it's not it's it's not the House of Nobles training would have been about politicking inside the city, not oh and by the way all this awful stuff is happening outside the city. So she's got Bolvar to try and handle that stuff sort of thing. There's, and, there was room for her character, and they just dis- decided she was dead. And I've, and I've heard a, a really shallow uh, argument that, you know, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to, like, highlight it, but I'm saying it because I think it's something that people have repeated for years uh, erroneously, is that women in Warcraft can't wage war. There wouldn't be paladins without a woman. 
without. Oh, aim. you can talk about Mara. You go ahead. Talk about Mara. I know okay. you want to. Okay. Um, Mara Four Dragon. We don't know for a fact that she's Bolvar's mother. We have. A we good know idea. there is there is some relationship. She's likely Bolvar's mother or otherwise related to him. But in a real way, Mara Four Dragon was the reason that Anduin Lothar managed to get those people out of Stormwind because she defended the docks when the ships were being, people were piling onto the ships. She stood on the dock and she held people, she held orcs off because she was a paladin. She did it with a sword and a shield here. Um, Now keep in mind that as we understand it, paladins didn't actually exist yet when she did it. So she was like probably a, a, a priest who happened to pick up a sword and a shield and just stood there and fought. But she's important enough to the paladins that she is a big statue of her. When, if you've done a paladin through the Legion storyline stuff, there's a big statue of her in the paladin order hall and her name right on it. There she is sword and shield. And that's who she was through the whole trip North. And it was not just, we got in boats and sailed. The horde were on the water. Mm-hmm. And not just the Horde, there were pirates, there are monsters, it's Azeroth. There's stuff everywhere trying to kill you all the time. We know Krakens exist. Yeah. And she was there basically serving, like while Anduin was, you could call Anduin like the head of the operation. He's the person, Anduin Lothar is the person getting them there. But she's the person making sure they get there. So one healing wounds, talking to people, and kicking ass i'm just gonna say it that's our one she's kicking ass the whole way up there we don't know what happened to her after that we don't see much of her in the war that follows um and we don't know where she is now or if she's even alive the fact that she's got a big statue in the paladin order hall tends to imply that she does not in fact currently alive um but wherever she is or wherever she ended up without her there'd be no alliance today because there would have been nobody coming up from Stormwind in the first place because they would have all died. And furthermore, you see the four dragon line, you know who they are. That line is dependent on her survival. So yeah, I, I always wanted to know more about Mara four dragon because she's a character who exists. If she even is a mother, she's well, she exists as more than a mother. And that's what we want more of, right? That yeah, we want, absolutely. And, th- and this goes for fathers, too. I mean, we too, didn't this- talk about Draka. We, oh, God, we can talk about Draka. We're going to have to do a show for Draka because we're almost <laughs> out of time here. <laughs> but for those of you, I mean, again, Thrall, Thrall was in this moment of being raised in the you know, shadow of his father and mother being killed uh, or dying and not being there, him being yeah, an orphan. But that's th- we do hear a lot more about his father. And Always. I think it's... I think it's the only when uh, Rise of the Horde came out that we really got a good picture of his mother, and and a little a bit picture. during and a little bit during Warlords of Draenor. Yeah, and but even that was more focused on his father. Yeah, but we did get to see her. That's one of the things Shadowlands did was give us just Draka. We don't see Duraton at all. We have no idea what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that's going to do it for today. Unless there's anything else you want to bring up. I mean, there's a lot more I want to bring up, but do, <laughs> we don't really have time. Um, I mean, like there's Ysera, who is a mother. There's Taronda, who, you know, adoptive mothers are still mothers. Yeah, absolutely. And she she raised a kid, and that kid is alive today, and that kid calls her mom. That that makes you a mother. Uh, whether or not you gave birth is immaterial. If, you're, if you are someone's mom, you are someone's mom. And she is someone's mom. And we're starting to see them explore those relationships more, especially towards, like, the end of Shadowlands with the cleanup of the the Night Warrior storyline, you get a little bit more of that, and that's 
I think. I mean, there's Kalia, who is a mother who lost her family. Yep. And that's rare. Usually the mom dies, not everybody, but the mom dies. Uh, that's a character that we could talk about. There, there are quite a few. But I, I, I think that it is important that where the story is going now is we're starting to see less, less of those characters getting written out and more of them having importance outside of the fact that they just bore children. Yeah, like Alaria and Verisa, mm-hmm. and their their children exist, but they're not the defining characteristic of their of those characters. Sylvanas and her six kids. I made that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do want to see more of that, though. I want to see more of the relationship. Uh, aspect of it because I think there are interesting moments. It doesn't have to be all about it. Obviously, it's a game where we're killing, you know, kobolds or or whatever the case. But having a little more depth to some of these characters, especially ones that have been around for a while, and giving them time to like sort of be present. Like again, we talked about that conversation that could happen between Moira and Anduin. I'd love to see something like that. I'd love to see Jaina have another conversation with maybe the dragons coming up about what life is or, or what the state of the world is and have them be sort of these prominent figures. I think that would be, I think that's important. And I think it's interesting storytelling. Uh, it's a lot better than just relying on the, the same classic tropes that we've seen time in time out, but that's going to do it for today. Blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue, and an ads-free site experience. If you have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them in. You can send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, or you can hit us up on our, our Discord server. We have one set aside for our Patreon supporters. It's Patreon Q and podcast questions. We do have one for non-Patreon supporters as well, uh, which is just Q and podcast questions. If you want us to do a themed episode, let us know. We have a couple suggestions that have come in and we will be working on in the near future. Uh, and as one final reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard as well as the game industry at large in demanding change for a better tomorrow and their efforts to continue unionization efforts. With that, folks, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.